Less than 12 feet as I, we entered the last part of the series of the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Okay, we're going to talk about the whole chapter, but um, for, the, for the reading together, we're just going to read from verse 19 to verse 28. Okay, remember, keep your voice low. You don't have to shout when you read. In count of three, one, two, three. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the dance of lion. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wife. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you as we about to enter the last sermon, Lord, on this series against all odds. And we thank you for your works in the past sermons, Lord, where we continue to stretch us um, to be spiritually bicultural. And I pray as we approach the last sermon today, I pray that you make it come even more alive in us, Lord, so that we as a Christian, we can live our life in such a way that we become a blessing to the city, Lord, and also faithful to you. And if we surrender everything in your hand, I am limited, Lord. But you are not limited by time and space. So we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In the name of Mighty Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys miss it? Kimmy, can you look at my back? There's a salt shaker there. I forgot to take it out. Okay. Let me start with a question. Okay. Is it possible for us, uh, is it possible today to have an uncorrupt politician? Okay. Think about it. Is it possible for an uncorrupt politician to, have, to, um, to exist today? Well, I am not a politician. And I do not know many politicians. But I watch a lot of Korean drama on Netflix. And they tell me that it is very unlikely uh, for us to have an uncorrupt politician in these days and age. I mean, if you've watch, been watching you know, House of Cards, you know, like, like, it is impossible. And if you're watching Korean drama, it's, it seems like it's impossible um, for us to have uncorrupt politician. Okay? It seems like every politician has skeletons in the closet. But let's not talk about politician. Let's talk about us then. Anyone here does not have anything to hide in their life. Raise your hand. I doubt, right? Every one of us have skeleton in the closet that we try to hide from people. 
Okay, for the difference is this. Okay, the difference is usually the older you are, the more skeleton you have in the closet. Okay, so if you're under 10, you more likely have only one or two. But if you're like 40, 50, you probably have a, like a full wardrobe of skeletons. But here's the thing, though. So is it possible for us to have no skeletons? The answer is, of course, well, no, yours. It's impossible. But, and because of that, what happens a lot of times, we live in fear and insecurity. Why? Because we are afraid. What will people think of me if people find out about the things that I'm hiding from them? Right? What if people find out about the things that I do not want anyone to know? Will they still love me? Will they still accept me? Okay? And our skeletons might look different. For some of us, it might be uh, past sins. Or for some of us, it might be a present sin. It might be a past struggle, a present struggle, or it might be the consequences of past sin. But there's something inside of us that we are afraid that people might know. And people will think, like, if people know, they will not love me anymore. Okay? What's remarkable about the story that we just read is this. You know that Daniel is a blameless man. We found that Daniel is like a perfect man. He has no blemish whatsoever. Okay? And if you grew up in church, you probably hear the phrase before. Remember? Dare to be Daniel. You listen, you hear that phrase before, right? So basically the idea is we got to be like Daniel. Okay? We have got to have courage like Daniel. Here's my question for you and me, though. How can we be like Daniel? Because we're not blameless like Daniel, right? And that's the tension that I think this story will throw at us. And I think it's good. I want us to be like Daniel. But the question will be how? And what does it mean to be Daniel? And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. Now, previously, in Against Our Odd series, uh, remember what happened? Daniel and his friend were sent into Babylon as an exile. And this created tension because they're not from Babylon because now they have to live in Babylon. And there are three different ways that you can live um, if it's in, in a city that is not your own. First, you can be an immigrant. Do you know what an immigrant is? An immigrant is someone who makes other city or new country their home country. For example, so they might not come from Australia. They might come from other country, but they come to Australia and they love it. They're like, this country is amazing. And they want to make this country their new home. So they spend all their resources trying to make Sydney as comfortable as possible for them. So they, they pretty much become one with the country, and they obsess about having their best life now in the city of Sydney. They assimilate with Australia. But the second way, the second option, is you can be a tourist. You know, you, you understand the difference between um, immigrant and tourist? When you are a tourist, you basically come and you enjoy the city, right? You, you eat and you have fun in the city, but you do, not, you do not get involved with the city. You do not care about the politics of the city. You do not care about the social injustice in the city. You don't care about it. So you create your own circle. You have your own huddle. You speak your own languages. You eat your, your own food. Like you, you have your own group of friends that you come with from other countries. So basically, this idea is like, ah, this city is, has nothing to do with me. You mind your own business. I mind my own business. Okay? And that's the two options. As a migrant, or tourists. But then when God tells the people of Israel when they enter Babylon, God gives them the third option, remember? The third way, and that is spiritually bicultural. Or the word that we use today is sojourners and exile. Okay, what does an exile? Okay, what does an exile do? An exile is this. An exile is a group of people who come to different places and for undivine period of time, they have to make this place their new home. Okay, so for example, so you work in the city. You, you earn money in the city. You 
make income, and, and then you try to make friends with the people around you. But here's the thing, the difference between an exile and an immigrant. Even though you are here, and even though you try to live in here, you know this is not your home. You know this is not your home. So even though you work hard for the prosperity of the city of Sydney, at the same time, you still look forward to the day that you will be home one day. Okay, that is an exile. Okay? I love the way J.D. Greer put it. J.D. Greer put it this way. Okay, it's like when you're in airport. So when you go to airport, you know, you know, you have this little shop that sells all the necessities at ridiculously high price. You know what I'm talking about? Like a Mantos could cost $4 in there. Like, right? like why? What's the purpose of that shop? See, the, the, the purpose of that shop is this. They want to make your life as comfortable as possible during layover. You know what you will not find in this kind of shop? Shopping cart. Why? Because you don't buy groceries in this kind of shop. You only buy what is needed to make your life comfortable during layover because you're about to fly. You're about to go. You're about to leave that place. And that's what it means to be exiled. Okay? And the life of Daniel will show us this. Okay? The life of Daniel shows us in the last couple of weeks. There are times when you live in exile that you'll be blessed. You'll be promoted. But there are also times when you are persecuted because of your belief, which led us to this question. When is it right for us to disobey authority? Okay? And I give you this answer a couple of weeks ago. It is right to disobey authority when the authority commands what God forbids or forbid what God commands. Okay? In the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see the first one, when the authority, authority commands what God forbids. In this story, we see the second one, when the authority forbids what God commands. And we'll see the theme of the book of Daniel again play out in this chapter. God is the sovereign king of the everlasting kingdom. God is in control over who is in control despite present circumstances. Okay? Now, one more thing before we get to the passage, though, okay? If you're a historical nerd, uh, this is very important for you. If you don't care about history, this part, just skip it. But if you're a historical nerd, there's one thing that is very striking in this passage. This is this. Who the heck is King Darius? Because if you study history, you will not find this king anywhere. There is no king of Persia by the name of Darius, okay? which led us to two different solutions. Okay? There's two different solutions. The first solution, King Darius is actually General Gubaru, who took down Babylon and then was appointed as king by Cyrus in his absence. Okay? There's a hint for that. In the last verse of Daniel chapter 5, it says this, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Now, the word received there seems to uh, indicate that this is something that is given to him. You with me on that? So this is not his kingdom. It's, it's given to him by someone else. So probably uh, uh, Darius is General Gubaru who took down Babylon and become a king in Darius' absence. That's the first option. The second option, uh, Darius actually another name for Cyrus. Because it is very common in those days for people, for governors and kings to have multiple names. Like Daniel. Daniel have two names. So Daniel, uh, sorry, um, Darius is actually Cyrus. Okay? And if you look, read the last verse of uh, chapter 6, verse 28, it might seem puzzling. It says this. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, when you read this verse, it seems like, wait a minute. It seems like two different persons. You mean on that? But if you read the original language, it does not say that. The word and can be translated differently. So the word in the original language can mean this. 
Um, so Daniel, this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Are you with me on that? Now, so there's two options. One is Gubaru, one is Cyrus. Okay, let's take a foot. Who thinks Gubaru is the answer? Raise your hand. Who thinks Cyrus is the answer? Raise your hand. Wow, that's like 90% say Cyrus, okay? Uh, you want to know my opinion? Do you guys want to know my opinion? I actually do not know which one is the right answer, okay? Just, I'm going to give it to you. I, both of them seems possible, but however, if I have to choose one, I vote on the side of Gubaru. So I'm against you guys. I'm against the majority. That's okay. As God still loves me. God still accepts me, okay? But nevertheless, the story still remains true, okay? Like we see in the story of Belshazzar, even though we do not know at, for many, many hundreds of years, we do not know who he is, we eventually find out who he is, okay? And I believe that, um, that what is written here is legit and we can learn from it, okay? There are four lessons that we can learn. The blessing, the struggle, the courage, and the reversal. Look at the blessing. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to 5, it says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout, to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom this satrap shall give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel become distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then this man said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in a connection with the law of his God. I mean, okay, this is remarkable, guys. At this time, Daniel is 80 years old. Not 18, 80 years old. He's an old man. And people, to dig, people try to find skeletons. They dig around to find skeletons in his closet. And you know what they found? Nada. Zero. So this man is blameless. So I'm like, whew. And not only that, apparently Daniel is so good at what he does. So um, Darius appoints 120 ministers to, of, uh, to reign over Babylon. And on top of that 120 ministers, there are three um, high ministers, three officials that oversee everything. And now Darius wants to promote Daniel to be the one man in charge of the whole kingdom. Basically to be the prime minister of Babylon. So Daniel is so good at what he does. He's honest, he's hardworking, and the Bible says there's excellent spirit in him. And here's what's remarkable. Daniel did not do it for his own sake. Okay, the text says he does, that, he does that so that the king might suffer no loss. So this is a man who dedicated his life for the prosperity of Persia. This is a man who dedicated his life for the, the, the reign of Darius. He's amazing. So this is the example, the very definition of Jeremiah 29. When Jeremiah talked about spiritual biculture, this is it. Daniel lived it out, okay? And he prospered in Persia and Babylon. There's no flaw in him unless in regard to his commitment to the God of Israel. What can we learn? I think there are two lessons that we can learn. First, you can be a blessing in whatever you do. Here's what I mean. I think a lot of time we're not careful. Um, we like to think that a pastor, a full-time minister can make more impact for the kingdom of God than a secular ministry. 
And for example, you think, oh, because you are a pastor, that means you have more influence that you can make impact with the kingdom of God than an accountant, or than a cleaner, than a doctor. But the story of Daniel tells us otherwise. Because Daniel has all the gift to be a prophet. Think about it. If you read Daniel chapter 7 to Daniel chapter 12, he has this apocalyptic vision, right? Remember all the animals, all the creatures. So he has this wonderful vision. And not only that, he can interpret dreams and he speaks on behalf of God. So Daniel has all the necessary quality to be a prophet of God. But do you know where he excelled? Politics. So Daniel, so even though he has all the gift to be a prophet, he's not a prophet. He's a politician. And God used him in such a mighty way uh, in his job as a politician. These texts tell us this. It does not matter what kind of ministry or job you have. What matters is how you use your ministry and how you use your job. Because you can make great impact for the kingdom of God wherever you are. As a nurse, as an accountant, as a businessman, as a lawyer, you can make a difference for the kingdom of God. You can be a blessing in whatever you do. But the second part is this. I love this part. You can be a blessing wherever you are. Okay? Remember the context? Daniel was in Persia. Now, here's what I mean. If we're not careful, you and I, we have this tendency to pursue safety first. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? I'm all for safety. There's a, there's a wisdom in pursuing safety. But if we're not careful, what happens is this we forget that we live in a wicked city. And if we try to avoid any kind of pain, any kind of hurt, what happens is this, we have disassociated ourselves from the city, and that is not healthy. Let me give you an example. When you decide where to live, when you decide where to work, when you decide where to send your kids, what is the primary motivation behind your decision? Is that because you try to find safety first for your family, safety first for you, or something else drive your decision? Okay, I'm not saying safety is wrong, but if safety is what we pursue, then we have not lived spiritually by cultural life. Because to be spiritually by culture is to acknowledge the fact that we live in a wicked city. The city of Sydney, I love it, man. I, I've been here for how many years now? 20-something years. I love the city of Sydney, 25 years. But let me tell you, this city is wicked. With all its pluses, this city is not God-glorifying city. It goes against of many things that the Bible teaches us. So it's a wicked city. So then what drives my decision then when I live in the city? Because here's what happened if you're not careful. Remember Jesus called us to be salt of the earth? Jesus does not call us to be salt of the church. Jesus called us to be salt of the earth. What is the purpose of salt? The purpose of salt, the primary purpose of salt in Jesus' day is to prevent decay. So you use salt actually to prevent decay. And this is what Jesus is saying to you and me. Your presence, my presence in the city of Sydney, supposed to act as a preservative to prevent the city from decaying. So the reason that God put you in this city, in your job, is for you to prevent decay there. But then if we play safety, what happens is this. One of the biggest errors that we can make as a Christian is this. We pursue safety. And here's what I mean. So we become extremely proud of our own community. So this is what happened. We created our Christian circle, Christian hospital, uh, Christian school, Christian restaurant, Christian pub. Okay, well, 
weird Christian pub. It's possible to have Christian pub. So, so what happened is this. So we become so immersed in our Christian circle, and we're proud of it. Oh, it's so safe here. It's my kids are well-educated in this Christian environment to the point that we forgot that our presence in the city meant to be a preservative. Okay? It's like this. Okay? This is a funny thing that Christian does, right? It's like we're talking about salt shaker. That's the reason I need salt shaker. Okay? So we tried to find the cutest salt shaker available. I asked Kailu, what is the cutest salt shaker we have in the house? It's this one. Okay? I know it's not cute, but it's the best that we can find in our house. So here's what we do as a Christian, right? Oh my gosh, look at that salt shaker. Okay, we, I bought it in Belgium. Although, well, of course, this is not from Belgium, but I bought it all the way from overseas. So expensive, so cute. And we talk so much about the salt shaker. And that's not wrong. I mean, you can have a cute salt shaker, and that's not wrong. But then we talk, look at this. Oh, look at the transparency. We can see the salt inside the salt shaker. Wow. And the salt is so white, so clear, so good. Here's the point, though. As long as the salt remains in the salt shaker, it is useless. Are you with me on that? So here's the thing that we do as a Christian, okay, the funny thing that we do as a Christian. We love to talk about our church. I hope you do. Like we like to talk, oh my God, my church is amazing. My church is cool. It's gospel-centered. My church uh, has a nice music. And check out the young pastor. He's cute, right? So you would talk about church and we, okay, maybe not, but we elevate church to the point that we, amount, we miss the point. Because now when we talk about church, we forgot what is the reason Christians gather in the church. See, Christians gather in the church not for us to praise the church shaker. Christians gather in the church so that God might use us as a preservative in our city. So this is what God will do. I know it's uncomfortable. In order for us to use us, God will have to turn the salt shaker, the church shaker, and shake it. And that's going to be painful. But that's the only time, sometimes, the only way that God can send us to our city to be a blessing there. Because that's where God needs us. God does not need us in the church. God needs us to be a blessing to the city of Sydney. Okay? And that's what Daniel's living. Okay? Christians are useless if Christians remain in the church shaker. God wants Christians to be in every part of the city. You're not called to play safe in the church. You are called to give your life for the city. Okay? That's the first one, the blessing. Let's look at the second one, though. The struggle. So when we look at the story of Daniel, what happened is Daniel wants, uh, Darius wants to promote Daniel to be the prime minister, right? He, he just captivated Daniel's awesome. He wants to be uh, uh, promoted to become the prime minister. And then there are people who are jealous because of that. And there are people who are like, why Daniel? Why not me? So these people then begin to start um, trying to find Daniel's skeletons. They begin to dig around, you know, they think like, you know, Daniel, he could not be that good, right? Surely if we dig around, we'll find something wrong with him and we can use that against him. But here's the funny thing though. When they start digging around, you know what happened? Nada. Zero. No blemish whatsoever. And they're like, how can it be? How can that man, this man exist? And you know what happened? And we assume like, whoa, they'll be captivated with Daniel's goodness and they'll be Daniel's best friend forever. But that's not the story. The story when they found out that Daniel is different from them, they hated them. They hated him even more. They come to the king and they have this beautiful scheme and they say to the king, king, let's make a new law. What is it? No one can pray to any God or any man for 30 days. 
except to you. And the king like, okay, let's do it. And they make the king sign a document that basically says this. The moment the king signed that document, the law is irrevocable. There's nothing that you can do about it. The king, even the king cannot do anything about it because the king, the king has signed the document. See, I love that. Do you know what I love this? It means this. Daniel's enemy know the only way, the only way that they can get Daniel is through his faith in God. Because they know exactly Daniel would rather choose to go into lion's den rather than stop praying. They know. They know exactly that even though Daniel gave his life for the prosperity of Persia, Daniel will not worship Persia. They know. And that's, I love it. So they know. They know exactly who Daniel is. Here's what I'm trying to say. It does not matter how much a blessing you are to the city. You will have people who hate you. That struggle will continue to exist, okay? And listen to this, okay? Christian, you're not hated because you are so much better than other people. You are hated because you're different, okay? I, I, you know, sometimes we over-romantize Christianity. We're like, people hate me because I'm too good, right? Uh, maybe, but most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, people hate you because you are different. Because, let's, let's admit it, Christian, we are weird, if you're not weird, you're not Christian. Why? Because Christian, we hold to different value from the value of our culture. Our allegiance is not to the city of Sydney. Our allegiance is to the king of kings and his everlasting kingdom. So if that is the case, then here's the thing that we must know. We're going to look weird to different people because we march to different beat. Anyone ever see marching band? Okay. Here's the thing about marching band, right? Everyone in marching band, they they march to the same beat, most likely to the drummer's beat. They follow the same beat, right? But imagine, in the midst of those marching band, there's one guy in the center who has his headphones on. And he was not listening to the drummer's beat. He was listening to K-pop and marching to that beat. What does it look like? Weird, right? It looks strange. And that's the reality about you and me. We got to look strange. We got to look weird. You can't avoid it. If you try to look normal, then you have assimilated to the culture. If we are faithful to God's bid, we will be out of sync with the world, and the world will hate us. There's no way out of it. I remember my conversation with one of my friends. He's not a Christian. Okay? We have this conversation about uh, same-sex marriage. Okay? And my friend, he argue, and he argue logically. He says this, you know, it is okay as long as they love one another sincerely. Who are we to say no if they love one another sincerely? Who are we to tell them who can they love, who cannot they love? Okay. And that puts me in dilemma. Do you know why? In one side, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says same-sex marriage is a sin. But on the other side, I do not want him to dislike me. I like being liked by people. Like, don't judge me. I know you guys feel the same tension, right? I like being liked by people. Especially, this is my friend. My long, been friend for him for many, many years. So just by my belief on same-sex marriage, I'm already at odds with my friend. So if we try to be the same, this is what, what happened. If we try to avoid hurt and pain in this city, we either withdraw from the city or we have become one with the city. But if we want to engage the gospel, we engage the city with the gospel, we've got to embrace pain. 
we will be misunderstood. It will not be easy. But that's what it means to live a spiritually bicultural life, okay? Let's continue with the story. The third thing that we can see in the story is the courage. So Daniel heard about the new decree that was signed by King Darius, okay? Here's the question that I want to ask you. What would you do if you're Daniel? Don't answer too quickly because I know the answer. You know the answers. Of course, I'm going to be faithful to God. Are you with me on that? Okay, because we know what's going to happen at the end of the story. Okay, but let me go back to the three reasons why it is very good for us, very possible for us not to do what Daniel did. Three reasons. Three reasons to compromise. The same one. Logical, rational, sorry, wise, and theological. A rational reason goes like this. You know what? I'm about to be promoted to be the second most powerful man in the kingdom of Persia. Think about all the good that I can do in my position. Think all about all the good that I can do for the Jews and the kingdom of Persia. All I have to do is simply not pray for 30 days. So basically, a, a small sacrifice for the greater good. Rational? Logical? Of course. What about the wise reason? Okay, this is the, I love this reason. The wise reason goes like this. Well... It's not like we can't worship God, right? All we have to do is stop praying for 30 days. What? No, Hamona. It's not like we can't pray. It's just hitting the pause button on praying. That's it. Or maybe I can pray in secret. I don't have to pray with my, door, uh, my window open towards Jerusalem. I can pray in my basement. No one need to know. Sounds wise? Sounds wise. Or this is my favorite one, theological. Okay, this reason go like this. Well, do you really have to go on your knee when you pray? Not really. God listened to our heart. I can pray anytime, anywhere to God. I, in fact, can pray all night. I pray before I go to bed, and I say amen when I woke up in the morning. And God hear my prayer. Anyone ever done that? Right? It's, it's, I mean, it's theological. I mean, God is not limited by time and space. He, he listened to me any time. It sounds, well, it's theological. It's true. But what I love about Daniel, he does not take any of that option. Okay, I love this first time. When Daniel knew that the, the, the document has been signed, he went to his house where he had window in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knee three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to, before his God as he had done previously. Okay, there's two things that struck me here. First is this. This is an example when it's okay for us to disobey authority. When the authority forbid what God's command, our response should be this. We must obey God rather than man. Now, here's the thing that, that I need you to understand. Why does Daniel insist on opening his window toward Jerusalem? Anyone find that weird? Why does Daniel insist on it? Let me tell you why. This is not an act of rebellion against the king. Because the king made the commandment for him not to pray. Let me show you. Bam! I'm going to pray in front of the public. It's not that. What Daniel does is something a lot more subtle. King Solomon, you guys know who King Solomon is? David's sons. King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, he made this plea before God. He says this, God, if one day the people of Israel was carried into exile, here's my prayer. If they pray to you, if they repent and they pray to you toward Jerusalem, God, listen to their plea. Be gracious to them. And bring them back from exile. That is what Solomon prayed for. And that is exactly what Daniel did. Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem because Daniel believed that 
God is listening to their plea. So Daniel is praying for the people of Jew in their exile. God, forgive us of our sin. Bring us back from exile. So Daniel was playing with the God of the Bible. This is not personal rebellion toward the king, but faithfulness toward the ultimate king, Yahweh. And the second part, and this is what I love better, even better. At the latter part of first time, he says this, he got down on his knee three times a day and pray and give thanks before his God as he had done previously. With another word, Daniel's prayer life is not crisis-oriented prayer life. Okay, that's different from you and me. We tend to pray when we are in crisis, but Daniel's not. So Daniel's prayer life is something that he's done for many years previously. It's something that he has done again and again and again. It's what makes Daniel, Daniel. See, when we talk about the story of lions, then we are in awe. Like, wow, what a beautiful courage. What an amazing courage that Daniel has to, be, to enter the lion's den without any fear. But let me tell you, the battle is won long before Daniel enters the lion's den. The battle is won when Daniel chooses to trust God despite of the consequences. See, if, let me take it one step further. The battle is won for Daniel. The battle is won when he prayed three times a day for many, many years without anyone ever noticing. That is where the battle is won for Daniel. Not in Lion's Den, long before that. What lesson can we learn from here? Here's, your past obedience is no substitute for present obedience. Yesterday faithfulness is not a reason for today's infidelity. Let me repeat that. Your past obedience is not substitute for present obedience. Yesterday faithfulness is not a reason for today's infidelity. You know this. Experientially, we know this, okay? Husband and wife, you know this, okay? If you're married, would you be okay if your spouse says to you, honey, I'm going to be the best husband or the best wife ever. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to fulfill all your needs. I'm going to be the legend, the bomb wife of the bomb husband for 364 days a year. Just one day. I just need one day a year where I can do whatever I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. And you cannot say to no to me. Question for the married people. Anyone will take that deal? No. No one will take that deal, right? But somehow, in our Christian walk, it is what a lot of time happens. We think it is okay to disobey God on small things as long as we do not commit the flagrant sins. We think it's okay. Well, it's fine. God understands, you know, as long as we're good on most days, then it is okay for us not to be good in one or two days. But that's not Daniel. Daniel understands, no, no, no. I got to be consistent with my walk with God. Daniel continue to pray. And that's where we found the courage to enter the lion's den. You win the big battle of faith by trusting God in the little daily battles of faith. You don't build courage to enter the lion's den overnight. It does not work that way. But like, look at the fourth one, reversal. Last point. So King Darius loved Daniel, Okay. But even so, there's nothing that he can do to prevent Daniel from entering Limestone. Because remember, he already signed the document. So he cannot do anything about it. 
And so now, all that he can do is simply say to Daniel, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So Daniel then cast into the lion's den, and then they place a stone to close the mouth of the den, and Daniel is locked behind the stone, and he's as good as that. But then something interesting happened. Okay? So what happened in the story is Darius cannot sleep, and Darius fasts all night. He does not eat. And then in the very morning, the very next morning, Darius ran to the lion's den. Daniel, Darius ran, and this is what Darius said. I love it. Verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You know what Darius say? See, Darius say, Daniel, I know you serve the living God. I know you've been faithful to him. The question is this, is your God really alive or not? Because if your God is alive, then he can save you. Nothing can stop him. So now the question that Darius asks is not necessarily whether Daniel is good enough, no. Whether the God of Daniel is alive or not. Whether the God of Daniel is alive or not. And then I love what happened next. Verse 21 to 23. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found in him, because he had trusted in his God. Two things. This is the only time that Daniel speaks in the narrative. So it's very, very crucial. The first thing that Daniel says is this. Daniel said that his God sent the angels to shut the lions. So with another word, now Daniel answers the question of Darius. Darius asks, Daniel, is your living God able to save you? And now Daniel says, of course, he is alive. My God is alive as a living God. He sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth. With another word, Daniel's God is the one true God. And yet we find the same rhythm happen in this story as the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God did not save Daniel from trials, but God saved Daniel through trials. So Daniel has to enter the lion's den. And, but in lion's den, God showed his power. And this is the way, my friend, the God of the Bible often works. One of the lies that we believe is a lot of time God cares about our comfort. God cares about your comfort, but He cares about His glory and your good so much more than your comfort. And a lot of time because He cares about your good and His glory, He will allow you to go through trials because through trials you get to see the works of God that sanctify you, that make you more like Him, and also bring glory to Him, as we're about to see in the story. It is through trials that a lot of time you see the hand and the power of God work remarkably. But then the second part, and this is what really, really got me. The second part that Daniel says this, I love this. Daniel says this, that I am blameless before God. I mean, he said, God saved me from the lion's mouth because I am blameless before the King of Kings. I mean... 
anyone can say that. The word Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. So what basically, what Daniel says is this, you know, God is my supreme judge. And when God look at me, when God look at my life, when God look at what happened, the God of the universe, the supreme judge said that I am blameless. So therefore, he saved me from this trial. And not only that, okay, so not only blameless before God, but then Daniel has the audacity to say, and I have done no harm to you, O king. With another word, Daniel says this, I am blameless before God and before men. And because I trusted in God, because I am blameless, God rescue me. Wow. And then this reversal happened. If before the innocent suffered and the guilty prospered, and then reversal happened. Now the innocent received salvation and the guilty received judgment. Daniel's enemy are cast into the dens of lions and they were killed. There's a reversal that happened. Daniel received salvation and his enemy received judgment and the glory of God is made known. Verse 25 to 27. Then King Darius wrote to all people, nation, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He will sign and wonders in heaven and earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. Do you know what happened? Because of Daniel's trial, Darius confessed that your God is the one true God, that your God is the king of the everlasting kingdom, that your God is sovereign because Daniel went into the lion's den. Okay, I'm going to say this again and again. Your trials is not just about you. The trials that you go through is about the glory of God. And if you understand that your trial is not about you, the way you face your trial is different. You not just ask God to deliver you from trial, but you dominantly ask, God, be glorified in my trial. Because that is the main purpose. Okay. What is the moral of the story then? And I'm finished. What is the lesson that we can learn from the life of Daniel for the past couple of weeks? Be like Daniel and God will save you. Dare to be like Daniel. Have courage to be like Daniel and God will take care of you. It cannot mean that. I mean, to give you two reasons why it cannot mean that. First, there are many other characters in the Bible who trusted God and died miserably. Isaiah, he gets sworn in half. Apostle Paul, his head gets chopped off. Peter, crucified upside down. So it's inconsistent. If we look at the story of Daniel and we say, if you trust God, as long as you trust God, everything will be okay with you. Is it consistent with the story of the Bible? Because we understand that Daniel's life is not about Daniel. Daniel's first and foremost allegiance is to the king of the everlasting kingdom. And Daniel lived for his glory, even in Babylon and Persia. So when you live for that, for that kingdom, when you live for the everlasting kingdom, here's what we know from the life of Daniel. You cannot lose. No matter what happened, you cannot lose. If God saved you from your trial, he'd be glorified. But even if God did not save you from your trial, that's even better because you get to meet your king. 
Okay, I remember the story what happened a couple of weeks ago, but I will not go there. Some mothers complained to me because I said this to their son. And their son ended up not caring about life. I mean, some, I never mind. Never mind. Okay. But the story of Daniel tells us this, that God is the sovereign king of the everlasting kingdom. And when you live for that kingdom, you cannot lose. But the second one, why the story cannot mean that if you trust God, everything will be okay? You're not Daniel. I mean, you can never be. You know why? Does anyone of you can say confidently, I am blameless before God and man? None. We agree, right? In the beginning, all of us have skeletons in our closet. We all have things to hide in our closet. None of us can say like Daniel, I am blameless before God and man. None but one. And his name is Jesus. And the story of Daniel is actually pointing us to the blameless one. The only blameless one. The only person who has the right to say, I am blameless before God and man. And he is blameless. And look at the life of Jesus. Just like Daniel, the leaders of Jesus' day hated Jesus. And like Daniel, just like Daniel, Jesus was captured after he prayed. And just like Daniel, the leaders of his day tried to save Daniel, Pilate, but he cannot. And just like Daniel, Jesus is condemned to that sentence. But unlike Daniel, Daniel walked out of the dance of the lion unscratched, without any, any, any pain. But Jesus cried out in the cross, at the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? See, the only blameless one, the only one that has the right to say, I am blameless, God shall have saved him. He trusted God fully. The only blameless one was crucified and God was not with him. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. Our sin, he took the justice of God, the judgment of God upon himself. He payrolled so that the blameless one declare guilty. Why? So that you and I, the guilty one, are declared innocent the moment we put our faith in him. And that's what happened. That is the grand reversal. That is what's happening in the story. And this is what happened. Not only that. So Jesus died, and then Jesus put, a stone was put on his tomb. People think this is it, the end of the story. But three days later, even that itself cannot contain Jesus. Because God the Father was pleased with what Jesus has done. And God the Father said, it's time, son. Boom! And Jesus resurrected from the dead. And not only that, upon that res His resurrection, He's inaugurated as the King of the everlasting kingdom. From that moment. So now, Jesus is reigning as a King of the everlasting kingdom. And a day will come where every knee will, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the true King to the glory of God the Father. And until that day, he's still in sovereign control over every single thing that happened in this universe. One last thing and I'm done. How can we be like Daniel then in our city? It is only when you see Jesus as a true and better Daniel that you can be like Daniel. How can you have the courage to remain faithful in the face of death? One way. It is only when you see God's verdict on you. It is only when you see God has given his final verdict on you. You who are blamed, you who are guilty, I declare innocent. That's the only way. 
It is only when you see Jesus enter the lion's den for you that you can find the courage to face your lion. It is only when you know you are innocent in God's sight that you can be courageous in the midst of trial. It is only when you declare the supreme judge has given his verdict over you. And that verdict is this. You were guilty, but the innocent one has become guilty so that you might become innocent. The grand reversal. God is our supreme judge. And my prayer is this, that you can tell yourself, Daniel, God is my judge. And God has given his verdict over me. I am innocent. And therefore, I can live like Daniel. Go and be like Daniel to the city wherever God puts you. Let's pray. God, I pray that these simple words will come alive in our life. Because it is easy to say, but it is extremely difficult to live, Lord. To live in the tension on being faithful to you and at the same time become a blessing to our city. Help us, Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do this on our own strength. We cannot do this on our own wisdom. We desperately need you to help us, to guide us, to walk with us. And yet, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle that we will endure, we have received the verdict already because you, Christ, have given your life for us that we can be confident that no matter what kind of trial we face, you are with us. The verdict is in that we are innocent in your sight because of our faith in your Son. So help us to live with courage. Help us to live with courage in our city. Be faithful to you and become a blessing to the city of Sydney. Help us be a blessing in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, wherever we are. Help us, Lord, because we cannot do this on on our own. And yet, because of the gospel, we can. We ask this in the name of beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.